Well, thanks, Ernest. If you want to pull out your outlines, you'll see the detailed outline within. Let's pray. Lord God, as we get to this next part of your word to us in the book of Revelation, we ask that by your Spirit and through this word, you would help us to see the world as you see it, to see what is going on in this throne room, to see more of who you are and what is at your heart, and that that would captivate us and send us away from hearing your word tonight changed. Work in us, we pray. Amen. Well, no matter who you are or what your background is, everyone worships something. We live our lives to please someone. It might be your parents, your partner, uh, your friends, your colleagues, yourself, or your God. In fact, the very definition of what a God is by the Oxford Dictionary is stated as this, a thing accorded the supreme importance. See, something or someone that is supreme, of supreme importance in your life, to treat them that way is to treat them as a God. It's to worship them. The reality is everyone worships something. And we love it, don't we? Right? The world has no issue with people worshipping. The world around us, in fact, celebrates a diversity of worship. We, we love to see culture and the different cultures celebrated in society. You hear of people speaking of the rich tapestry of churches, faiths and beliefs all coexisting together. And we think it's just great. It's great that you like that. It's great that you live for that. It's great that you love that. Everywhere we look, someone is trying to get you and me to worship. Whether it be ourselves and the way we look, the clothes we wear, the car we drive, the lifestyle we want to have, or our future bank balance. The world around us is trying to get us to worship something. Maybe it's even humanity. For the good of the world, save the world, save the pandas, save the whales. Like, this is so important, David Attenborough says, have less kids, it'll make the world a better place. All these things are celebrated. So long as you don't claim that your object of worship or your God is the only object that is worthy of worshipping. Because as soon as you do that, the world turns. How dare you say that? How dare you claim that your God or your thing that you worship is the only one? And you can kind of get that if we just make up these ideas of what we want to worship. However, the claim of Christianity is that there is only one worthy of worship. And He is the true and living God. He is the only one that is worthy of true worship, the only one that is worthy of the place of supreme importance. In fact, the only thing or one or person who can demand our worship of Him, because He is the true and living God, the God who made the universe and the God who made you and me. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation have been these letters uh, from Jesus through the Apostle John, written to these seven churches. And there have been letters that we've been able to learn from because they were to be circulated around the other churches in this area. And really, these letters are letters that are revealing what's going on in the churches of God. The book of Revelation is a revealing. It's not Revelations. We don't say the book of Revelations. It's a book of Revelation. It's a revealing of what God is seeing and doing in the world and pointing forward to what will happen. As we've heard these kind of seven letters to the seven churches, there's things that have been said that are hard, 
hard to hear, where the churches needed to change, they get called out on their sin, and perhaps for you in this room and me, you felt the Word of God pressing in to say, yeah, here's where you haven't got me at the center. There's also been encouraging things, the call to keep going, to keep sacrificing, that, that, that poverty for the sake of, of the kingdom is what we should expect in the normal Christian life, and we should keep going forward. We get to keep going forward because of the future that is coming. Now, all of that, all the things that are said in those seven churches are said because of what Jesus is going to say next. As we walk into the throne room of God, that's the first point tonight. Worship in the throne room. See, everything that's been said in these seven letters up until this point have been said because of what has been going on in the throne room of God. And that's the reason Jesus speaks to these churches. And the reason that we can look forward to anything is what happens next. So as John begins to relay what Jesus has said in Revelation chapter 4, he starts to pull back the curtain on the God that is worthy of our worship. And we get to see the heart of the true and living God. He gives us access into the throne room of God, of the creator of the universe. And it's going to get a bit crazy. (laughs) We're going to get our hands kind of messy and dirty tonight as we come and look at this part. Because this part of Revelation starts to get a little bit like weird. Like is John on acid or something? I don't know. Whatever he's on, it's cool. (laughs) That was not a suggestion to be on acid. Don't correlate those two comments. Revelation 4, verse 1. Let's see what happens. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. You're like, whoa. We're at this moment seeing into the throne room of God. And as I said, this kind of what happens next, it gets crazy. And that's because the type of, the genre of the writing that we're about to enter into is, is what we call apocalyptic writing, writing about the end times. And apocalyptic writing, really, it doesn't work in the kind of literal sense. Like if you've got an engineering brain, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's like everything is just clear. What is this bit? What is that bit? What is that bit? And how does it, what's it all exactly saying? It's more like a mosaic tile. Have you seen a, a mosaic painting or a mosaic, usually tiles on the floor where they get different colored kind of bits of ceramics and they put them together and this ceramic's kind of red and pink and you're like, I don't know what they are. But they put them all together and then you stand back and there's this amazing picture that it makes when you, when you stand back and see the whole. That's what the book of Revelation is doing for us. It's allowing us to stand back and see what is clear. So don't get caught up in the details. I'm going to read through the next section of Revelation, and I don't want you to read, I'm not even going to put it up on the screen. I want you to, to just try and imagine this picture. Try and put it together and see what picture you get, and what it feels like to see what John is seeing, what Jesus is showing John as we get into this next section. Revelation 4 verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their head. Flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. 
Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back, were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings that were covered with eyes around and inside, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy. The Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, as you hear that, (laughs) there are so many questions. How do you draw an animal with eyes around everywhere? Like, what does it stand on? That's got to hurt, right? Eye, ow. Like, it's kind of odd. And I've never seen a six-winged creature before. I don't know if you have. I, I, I don't know how, how that works. And then to, to see this kind of lightning coming from a throne, is this some sort of psychoelectric chair going on? There's, there's something kind of happening here. It's crazy. But as you stand back, there's one overarching theme that comes pumping through, isn't there? The, the center of this picture is the creator of the universe on the throne. And he's so different from everyone else. Holy, 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 they say. That word holy just means other, so separate, so different from the rest of creation, so amazing, so pure. Do you know, this is the only characteristic of God that is repeated. God is love, but he's never called love, love, love. God is just, but he's never called just, just, just. God is holy. And he is always called holy, holy, holy. So different is he. And then we kind of see back from the the center of this throne and we see all this heavenly array surrounding him. These 24 elders, probably representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the the whole of the, the kind of leaders of the whole people of God around the throne. And they're there. And then there's these creatures and you're like, what is going on? Right, you're seeing John starting to get a bit trippy as he gets in. You're like, this is, and there's like rainbows of emerald and carnelian stone and sea of glass. And <laughs> what is this like? I want you to imagine for a moment that you're invited to walk up to that throne. How would you feel? What would you say? You just walk in through into the throne room and just waltz up to the center. I want you to there's part of us that kind of just gets. Ooh, I don't know if that's safe. I don't know if I, I want to go there. They're bowing down, speaking of how great this God is. Last night, we had our Captivate Night at Edendale School. It was a great night of singing praises to God and, and celebrating who He is. But together there, we looked with the writer of Hebrews at what it would be like to approach the true and living God. We read together Exodus 19, where God's people had just come out of the promised land and they'd come through the Red Sea. And God took them with Moses leading them to the base of Mount Sinai. And there God said that he would speak to the people. They're approaching God. God will come down. This is what happened. This is how Moses records it. Exodus 19, verse 16. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning. A thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast from a ram's horn so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Does it sound familiar? It sounds like entering into this throne room of God where we've got flashes of lightning, rumblings of thunder, seven fiery torches representing the fullness of who God is. Something like a sea of glass was also before the throne. It's sparkling everywhere. And these creatures are there. There's something scary going on. And what are these creatures like? These eyed, six-winged, monstery, human-y, lion-y type people creatures. Well... They point us back to something God had said in Isaiah 6 and also in Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, in Isaiah 6, we're told that these creatures have got six wings and with two wings, they, they cover their faces, we're told, suggesting some sort of reverence and humility in the presence of God. These massive, all-seeing, all-powerful creatures can't see God. They're covering their faces. With two wings, they then cover their feet and lower parts in some sort of modesty before the true and living God. They don't feel like they can kind of come in in a way that is right. And then with their other two wings, they fly at speed across the earth, executing the commands of God. Their eyes are seen as this symbol of omniscience that God knows and sees everything through them. And as they fly across the world, they bring God's judgment. You can't hide from God. We're told here in Revelation chapter 4 that one of them is like a lion. Now, what is a lion? Is it not the, the kind of king of all the animals? And then we're told the second is like an ox, representing the huge power and strength. The third is, well, the face of a human. What, what's that doing? What, representing intelligence in some way, the most intelligent, generally, of God's creation is humanity. And the fourth is like a flying eagle. It's a little trickier to work out exactly what's going on there. Is that an eagle coming to swoop in and save? Or is this this, this flying creatures bringing God's judgment? In, his, in Ezekiel chapter 1, these, these creatures come and they execute the judgment of God. Literally, they bring words of lamentation and woe. It's pretty scary to walk in to the presence of the true and living God. When he sees all and knows all, when he is perfect and so different. Can you imagine walking up to him? I imagine this kind of scene like a, like a Western movie. You know those old Western movies? There's been some big gunfight and the good guys have taken out the bad guys. And all the bad guys are gone and the good guys are there in the Western bar, kind of leaning up against the bar with their guns off and they're still smoking from the heat. And they've, kind of, they've, they've beaten everyone. And you walk into the bar just wanting a drink and you see what's going on. There's chairs everywhere. There's kind of judgment has come out of these Western kind of gunmen. And you kind of go, man. Now, would you walk up to the bar with the kind of head of the, the operation standing there and just kind of like, hey, how you going? There's an Australian word that you'd introduce. It's that one word. It's like, hey, young, mate. That's, that's that word. Hey, young. Would you walk up to God? with the, the throne room of these people, with the imagine, unimaginable judgment and power and knowledge, and say to him, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Because he sees all and he knows all. The focus of this part of the chapter, the thing that captures all of our attention, 
isn't those around the throne. It's what they are bowing down to. The true and living God. He is at the center. He is so different from everyone else. He is so perfect. He is to be worshipped. He is to be praised. He is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. He is the eternal God. He is not something that was created. Not something that came into existence in one point in history. He has always been and He always will be. You are meeting your Maker. Let me ask you tonight, how close do you think you could get to God? What would it be like for you and me as imperfect people who've not treated God as we ought, who've worshipped, created things rather than the Creator? What would it be like for us to waltz up to Him? Compared to Him, we, we fall so short, don't we? We think we're bright, we think we're good, but it's like then God turns on the spotlights of how amazingly bright and good and just and all-knowing and powerful and great He is, and we, like cockroaches, scurry away to the dark. Compared to Him, we all fall short. It's an awesome thing to approach the true and living God. And it got me thinking, if you were to come into the throne room of God, what would the backing track be? What music would, be, would you play to represent the reality of what it is like to walk in to the presence of God? Just this last week, um, Andrew and I were away at a preacher's conference with lots of different preachers from across New Zealand. It was a great time of sharpening up how we preach and, and thinking about um, different ways you preach through different books and how you understand the Scriptures and encouraging one another. And on the form when you signed up, they actually gave you some, a list of kind of um, activities you could do in free time. There's just one free time slot in the three days we were away. And one of the activities was shooting. Kind of like a preacher's conference, Shooting. Seems a bit weird. Now, I've been to Unicon before. Shameless plug, you should come. So last time, we had shooting there as well, and we had these like air rifles, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's just going to be like that. You put them in this plastic hole thing, and you kind of get, and they go, make these little noises, and you're like, oh, that'd be cool. Anyway, we get there, and they give us like a 9mm US police pistol. Seriously. And we're lined up, they give us a safety briefing, and we can shoot it, and the thing's like, I'm like, what? and this thing goes ding. I'm like, the bullets were huge. I'm like, you let us do this? It's crazy. Anyway, that was the first thing. We got to shoot a couple of things and then they took us to the other side. We we're in two groups and they, um, they gave us, I kid you not, a pump action shotgun. It's big like, like it was huge and the cartridges were full of shot. They're about that big and anyway, the, the deal was um, there was four targets and, and they had little things that fell over and the guy gets up and he's like, oh, you know, and this guy had, had a few New Zealand records in the family, a pretty good shooter. And he's like, the deal is you've got to try and shoot all four targets. There's only four cartridges in each gun. And it's like significant kick, right, as you, as you shoot it. And you've got to get all four down. And at the time starts from when you do the first shot to the last shot. You've only got four shots. And, and we're like, okay, and you've got to get the fastest time. Now, preachers, we're pretty competitive. We're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. You know, we think we shoot the Word of God. It's like the sword of the Spirit. There's kind of something there. I don't know. There's a number of us there. And we're like, oh, yeah, and we, we kind of have a go. And we ask the guy, look, how fast can you do it in? And so we time him, right? He does it, four shots, three and a half seconds. Boom, boom, just gets them all down. We're like, man. And so that was it. It was on. And we, we had our practice. And then, then someone suggested, what we need is for this real round, we're all going to go through and get our times. So we, need, we need a backing track. And I'm like, this is great. 
we should have some, what would you use as a backing track? Because I'm thinking, I'm getting up there, I'm like, I'm get focused. And so kind of, as I was getting ready, I'm like, oh no, I pulled out my phone, opened Spotify, and opened up the Australian playlist and played one of my favorite Australian bands and went like this. At this point, they hand me a pump action shotgun. And I'm like, yeah. The cartridges are coming, and they give me each one and like, put it in. Two, three, four. The guy's like, flip it over, and then pump the action. You're like, and it's loaded. I'm there, and I'm flipped back, kind of got it up in here. I'm kind of down the site, ready to go. And I just take this deep breath in. Then I hear, yeah. I take a breath, I calm, and then with one foul swoop, I do four shots. Bang, 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 bang. They all went down four and a half seconds. Woo! Why aren't you excited? Anyway, I won. I beat all the other preachers. I'm like, yeah. So exciting, but still a second off this pro, right? I wonder if you walked into the throne room of God, what backing track you'd expect? Would it be ACDC? Would it be like, thunder, yeah, because we come before the God of the universe. What would his backing track be? You're probably thinking, this is weird, bro. <laughs> well, you don't need to guess, because Jesus tells us in verse 9 of chapter 4, have a listen. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, worship the one who lives forever, cast their crowns before him and say or sing, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you've created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. Now, I'm pretty sure that's where ACDC got their idea from for that song. Pretty sure that would have been the music playing behind it. It's that kind of picture of the the judgment of God, the power of God, how worthy he is to be worshipped. Because as they come before him, this is the eternal God in all his power, all his awe and strength and wonder. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. They've been crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This is no local deity. This is no created kind of thing that we ought to worship with some limited power. It's the one who made you and sustains you and me. There is nothing that is in existence that has not been made by Him. If you think about the reality of the world around us and how much we get to enjoy it, have you ever walked outside on a dark night, looked up at the stars and just felt so small? I'm so little to have, so far away. God's saying, I did that. I spoke and they came into being. Have you ever seen a vista of the greatest mountains? You stood in Queenstown and see the, the remarkables come down into the lake and the amazing strength and the hugeness of those mountains. God spoke and that happened. Have you ever understood the complexity of the human body and seen the way that, that we work with all our different systems working together? Do you know there are 2.5 million, sorry, 2.5 trillion red blood cells at any moment circling in your body? There are 25 million new cells produced per second in your body. We think through chemical reactions and electronic pulses, and that adds to who we are. I mean, God spoke and it happened. There is no one like God. Think of His power, of the way He's created all things. Think how different He is from us. He speaks, it happens. I tell my dog to sit 
It just looks at me. God says, let there be light. And it happens. He didn't need to do it. Why did he do it? To show us how great he is. So we'd stand back and go, man, you are good. God, you are good. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are over all things. Not only did he make it all, what we see is that he sustains it all. He didn't just wind it up like a clock and let it run and be like, there we go, it's running away. He's sustaining the universe now. I want you to do an experiment with me. Ready? I want you to take a big, deep breath in. Ready? One, two, three. And out again. There goes all the COVID. (laughs) Now, you could only do that because God allowed you to take another breath and your heart to beat another beat. He's sustaining everything. We think we're in control of so much. We think we set our destinies. That we are so powerful and strong, but we are nothing, nothing compared to this God. And to think that we don't need Him or we don't need to treat Him rightly is phenomenally offensive. If you're here tonight and and you don't yet trust Jesus, I want to say there's a real sense in which we ought to be afraid of God because He sees all, He knows all. And He's a God who is just. And for those who've rejected Him, like all of us have, we deserve death and judgment and hell. To think we can waltz up to him, knowing we fall short, knowing we've rejected him, is phenomenally scary given his power and might and hugeness. In this picture of the throne room of God, Jesus wants us to see, John wants us to see, that these elders, wherever they go, they cannot stop saying, You are worthy of glory and honor and power. That is the backing track. They cannot stop but keep saying and thinking. There is nothing, there is not one thing that is not God's. Either in this world, in our lives, even me, myself, we all belong to Him. That's what these elders are saying. We belong to you. I belong to you. Since the beginning of time, The angels, the elders, the the people in the throne room of God have been singing of his holiness. That's been the overture of heaven, the theme song round the throne of God. But then in chapter 5, the song changes. Point number two, weeping in the throne room. We had worship in the throne room, now weeping in the throne room. Revelation 5.1. Then John says, I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. Now I take it here, this scroll in the right hand of God is... A picture of the plans and purposes of God. What he, what he is still to do and what has to happen in the whole of human history. It's a bit of an, a weird idea. Scroll has writing on the inside and the outside. That wasn't normal. Scrolls you normally only wrote on one side. That's because the way they made scrolls was through getting papyrus and kind of stripping it and then, and then weaving it together. And on one side you'd have a weave that goes horizontally. And on the other side you'd have a weave that goes vertically throughout. And generally, um, when you're writing Greek or Hebrew, it goes from... Uh, 
left to right for Greek, or for your side, left to right for Greek, and then Hebrew is right to left. And so you generally write on the side that had the grain that was going horizontally. Because if you wrote on the other side where it's got a vertical grain, it gets real bumpy. You're trying to write and you're like, as you're going along. And so they, they generally just wrote on one side. But if you had a lot to say and you wanted to show it and fill the scroll in its fullness, you'd write on both sides because really, who wants two scrolls? It's like going to school. Who wants to take two textbooks? If I could just take one, it would be so much better. And so that it's kind of like double-sided printing. Imagine when they remembered how to do They worked out how to do that. And we could print on both sides. This is awesome, like half the paper. And so really, a scroll that's, that's printed on both sides, that has writing on both sides, is saying, in this scroll is the completeness of all that needs to be said. It's full to its fullness of all the plans and purposes for God. A compilation of whatever is to happen in the universe from this moment that we're walking into the throne room on. You're like, wow, here is what God is going to do. Here is what needs to be enacted. Here is what is to come. Now, John's been there looking into the throne room, amazed at God, ordered who he is, a little scared of being able to come toward him. But then his whole response changes. Look at verse 4. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. John goes from amazed and awed at the God of the universe to bawling his eyes out in three verses' time. Why would he be crying? Why would he be so upset at this point? What's going on? Is he just one of those emotional guys that's in touch with his emotions, you know? No, it's this, that if there is no one to bring about the plans and purposes of God, then everything that has been done in human history up to this point was worthless. We are worthless. If God's plans and purposes can't be enacted, then what is going on in this world? The reality is we eat, we drink, we die, then that's it. If the plans and purposes of God can't happen, then what's the point? What are we living for? What what about all this stuff that we've gone through? Where is God? And so he cries and he cries. But then as if John is really there in the room, in this vision that Jesus shows him, he steps into the throne room and one of the elders speaks to him. You can imagine, you're bawling his eyes out. Whoa, he's he's talking to me. And he brings him into the throne room and the elder speaks to him. Now, it's not the most empathetic of words to one who is crying. This is what he says. Stop crying. (laughs) Wow. No, he does say that. Look at what else he says in verse 5. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Now imagine this, imagine what's happening as he looks in. One like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. In other words, he's looking like God, but he's a lamb who's been slaughtered. What now? Don't make the dots yet. Just wait. What is a slaughtered lamb doing in the throne room of God? He went, this slaughtered lamb, and took the scroll out of the right hand of God as if the whole scene is in slow motion. Like he walked into the western bar and pulled the gun out from the center of the, kind of the cowboys that are good. And they've got all this power and strength. He took the scroll out of the one seated on the throne. Verse 8, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down 
before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What is going on? We've been worshipping the God of the universe, the one who is holy, 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 like no other, who is worthy of all our praise, who's created the universe and sustained the universe. And then this slaughtered lamb comes to the center, who's looking like God with the seven spirits of God. He's got all the characteristics, but also looking like a slaughtered lamb. And then they bow down and worship the lamb. Well, if you're not aware, the moment Jesus steps onto the world scene, John the Baptist says these words, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The slaughtered lamb is the, is the one who came from the line of Jesse, the root of David. Matthew makes clear in his genealogies that David is where Jesus has come from. And as Jesus steps onto the world stage and whatever he does in this throne room scene, everyone is worshipping Jesus as God. If you ever needed any evidence that Jesus was fully God, you've got it right here. It is impossible for people to worship him if he is not God. And at that moment, something changes. Those who'd been worshipping the true and living God now fall down and worship the Lamb. And verse 9, they sang a new song. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment. The next point in your outline to write down is the new song. I want to talk about this new song. What is going on here? The first time that I really understood this, the first time the penny dropped for me in this passage was just amazing. I'd read the passage before, I'd even some, sung some songs about it, but then I got what was going on and how important those five words are. And they sang a new song. What does it mean to sing a new song? You just get to the end of track one on God's throne room, greatest hits, and it kind of moved on to track two. Oh, here we go, there's another track happening. You know, is this the Christian songwriter's verse? You know, we should sing new songs about God because God's great and He deserves new songs because He gets bored of the old ones and so we need to write new ones. Is that what's going on? Throughout the Scriptures, throughout Israel's history, when a new song was sung, it usually signified a, a new stage in God's salvation history plan. That God was doing something new in line with what He'd said He'd do, but we're into that next stage. He's doing that next thing. And what's so astonishing here is something so monumental, so huge and significant has happened with the coming of this lamb who is worthy to enact the rest of God's plans and purposes. So big is that that it changed heaven's song. It changed the backing track to the throne room of God for all eternity. It's changed. Originally, it was praising God for his creative effort and what he had made in the world around us, his sustaining work how amazing the world is and you know but something happens that looks that makes creation look cheap something happens that it makes the highest mountains in the world look tiny it, the most complex intricacies of humanity look so simple compared to the all surpassing greatness of this event so what is the content of that song verse 9 you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. The death of Jesus on the cross dealt with the reality that we could not approach God and be smoked. Now we can come to Him because Jesus paid the price for us. 
He took the penalty. He purchased people for God by his blood. He died so that we could live. He took the penalty that we deserve so we could stand forgiven before God. That event was so big, so powerful that it eclipsed even God's creative effort of making the whole world. That's how big it is. If you're here tonight and you realize you, you don't know Jesus, that if you were to come before the true and living God, that you come before his wrath and anger and justice, then this is the best news ever. This is the best news ever for everyone. That God the Son came and died and took the penalty that you and I deserve so we could be forgiven. Tonight, let me encourage you, if you've not yet trusted Jesus, come to him. Put your life in his hands. See what he has done for you and serve him as your king and live with him forever. The picture that we get is of a new people This song is about a new people who are from every tribe and language and people and nation and they've been brought together. It's such an expansive picture of this kingdom of God. A new king has been installed and his name is Jesus and relationship with God for the rest of eternity is now possible. If this didn't happen, if the cross of Christ did not happen, if him laying down his life for us had never happened, all of human history would have been a complete waste, pointless. We'd all end up under God's wrath and his judgment. But something happened that changed heaven's song. It's my hope tonight that you'll see the importance of what John is showing us, of what Jesus is showing us. Because as you get how important Jesus' death in your place is, as you get that it changed heaven's song, it changes what you live for and who you live for. It gives those who trust in Jesus' purpose and hope in life, and it gives us a new job. We're called a kingdom of priests. It's not that we're all to go join the Roman Catholic Church and become priests and wear a funny frock and do some weird stuff. It's that we're to be people who take the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done to the world around us. We're to shine like stars in heaven, Paul says. As we live in the world, pointing people to who Jesus is and what he's done, we we get to speak to the world around us. Have you seen the cross? Because we worship a slaughtered lamb. And the world says, you worship what? And we say, him, him who died for me and rose again and is now the king over all. Friends, as we look into the throne room of God, we see the beating heart of God is all about his son. And how important the cross is. That news needs to be taken to every suburb of this city, every city of this land, and every square centimeter of this whole world. So great is this act that it changed heaven's song. Let me ask you tonight, what do you think excites God? What makes God go, yeah, this is what I'm about. This is what I live for. This is, this is, this is who I am. What direction do you think God wants for your life and for mine? Well, it's this. Seeing people come back to him through the incredibly costly work of His Son that is so important and so central, it eclipses all of God's creation. That's what He's on about. Sure, we can enjoy the world around us, and we should because it points us to the creating God. We can delight in His creative work, but we must see the trajectory of the Creator of the universe. 
That trajectory is not something small. So often we think, oh yeah, Christianity is just going to be little. We're just these awkward few people on the side feeling like Ned Flanders in The Simpsons. And that's what Christians are like. But listen to the picture that, that we have painted for us in verse 11. John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands, which is John's way of saying a lot. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They're worshiping Jesus as the creator, as the sustainer, and now as the one who's died in their place and has risen again. And then John hears in verse 13, Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the one seated on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's an expansive picture of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's a picture in some ways of of the future. As we go through Revelation, you'll see time is not chronological. He's pulling things out and showing us different aspects of the mosaic so we might understand who it is that speaks and the trajectory of the whole universe. And the picture is that Well, what Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee will bow eventually. At the name of Jesus, Philippians 2.10, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, tonight you and I have been shown what is at the heart of the creator of the universe. His trajectory for all of human history, how it eclipses even his creative work. What I'm convinced of tonight is this, that we make too little of the cross. Our lives focus on so many other things that we worship and live for and get excited about. But the cross of Christ doesn't capture us and drive us out to speak the news of Jesus into the world around us, nowhere near as much as it should anyway. It makes me ask, what is my life about? As people look at me, what do they see I'm about? And what I do with my life. Yes, we can enjoy creation. Yes, we can enjoy what God has given us. We can pray that He sustains us all and the sustenance that He's given us here and now, and that we can be a positive influence on the world and use the skills He's given us to love the creation around us. But if the cross of Christ is not central to all that we are doing, then we've missed the point of the whole of humanity in human history. In all that you do, in the way you drive your car, in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you study for exams and think about who you marry or who you're married to or raise your kids or the way that you marvel at creation and sustaining power, there is something that eclipses even the most spectacular work of God in creation. And that's the blood of a lamb. Has that captured you? Do you see your role on earth to be utterly and totally captivated by Him? Treating Him as He is, your King. Worshipping Him and seeing more and more and more people know and understand who He is and what He's done and willingly bow the knee to Jesus before they will bow when He returns as judge. Tonight, John has brought us into the throne room of God. He said, because of Jesus, we can approach Him We can stand forgiven. And that 
changed heaven's song. Let me ask you tonight, what will be the backing track of your life? As you walk out those doors, as you live every step of every day, what song will be thumpingly running through every step you make and every decision you take? I want to encourage you, there is nothing greater than having the song of what Jesus has done at the cross driving our lives so that we might live for him. Why don't you join me and pray together as we ask God to do exactly that in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, as we see through this fantastic mosaic that we have in your word, what you are like, as we get a glimpse into your throne room and see your power and majesty and glory and strength, we are awed at what you are like. There's a sense in which we feel so insignificant to see your power and how broken we are, how much we worship such pitiful things rather than you, the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, we are sorry for the way that we so often are satisfied with worshipping the created things rather than you, our creator. We ask tonight that this picture of who you are, your holiness and greatness, would propel us to see how amazing it is that Jesus has come and died on the cross, that our sins can be paid for, and that, that you are about creating a, a kingdom of people. Lord, we want to be part of that. We, we long to live as people who, who have Jesus as our king and point the world around us to him. Lord, we want to be a church that as people look to us, they don't see us in our efforts. But they see we are so totally and utterly captivated by Jesus that we live for him in everything. Lord, we long for Jesus to be worshipped. We long for him to be praised above every other. And so we pray tonight that you would help us to live for the praise of Jesus' glory in all that we do. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.